I appreciate you taking the time to do this all the way from London in the UK. How's it going today? It's very good. Well, the, the sun's shining. I call this the, the, the dream force weather. It's kind of, you know, mid 60s, bit of a breeze outside, exactly the same way as San Francisco would normally be about this time of year. Tom, I appreciate you doing this. I know it's uh, late for you on a Friday afternoon, but appreciate you taking the time to talk about selling, to talk about how we can make a difference to a lot of our viewers watching this that want to become better and hone in on their craft, right? But before I get into that, can you tell us a little bit about you? Like, who is Tom Costley? Uh, yeah, so uh, been in sales pretty much all my life. Uh, father of four, uh, oldest is 13. So uh, I, I don't have an opportunity to take my work home. I'm literally consumed by kids when I get home. So that does allow me to have a good work-life balance. And um, yeah, kind of the niche that I've carved out is uh, my specialist subject, if you will, is, is helping US software companies launch into Europe. I've noticed your profile, right? In, additional, uh, in addition to you enabling sales teams, coaching sales teams, and supporting your customers be successful through technology adoption, one of the things that you really do is you have this social impact that you make to people watching the talks that you give, the videos that you publish, around how to become more effective in everything that they do from a sales and customer success perspective as well. Where does that, in addition to the current job that you're in, where does that passion and drive come from? And if you can tell me a little bit about how do you believe you're making an impact to the sellers watching your videos on a regular basis? Uh, do I need it to have an impact with sellers? I, uh, part of the thing about leadership oftentimes is I, I'm not looking for like a feedback loop of, oh, that's amazing. You've really helped me. I think if you go into leadership like that, that's the wrong, you know, you don't give a present to hear a thank you. Uh, you give a present as a, as a gift if that, or to get something in return, you just give it away. Um, so I don't kind of have a kind of a currency if I want to get something back from it. Why do I, uh, make the effort to do some stuff online as well as just for my teams. I would say if you're truly into leadership, you just have a passion for helping people in general. Um, the kind of people when, you know, when we were talking in preparation for this, I've learned some stuff off you. So actually it gives me a wider context, you know, to learn from other people as well. And I've gone on record regularly saying, I have a passion for improving the perception of selling uh, kind of in industry, in, in corporate life. To my mind, there's a lot of people who could, who should be buying more stuff more often and they don't because they have a friction against being sold to. And if we can upskill what we do, that will actually help things happen. Nothing, nothing happens in business until something is bought or sold. You can't change anything. So if we can help sellers be more effective, be buying facilitators, whatever, then, uh, then that's good for all of us because any friction my team have walking into an opportunity isn't a reflection on them. It's a reflection on the experience those people in the buying process have had from other sellers. So why wouldn't I want to try in my own little way to, to lubricate that somewhat? That perception of sellers that you talked about a little bit there, can you elaborate on that? Like what in your opinion is the perception of selling and sales that needs to change? Uh, so, um, that sellers not 
being prescriptive enough in terms of who their target market is, who their ICP is, and trying to wedge something into a company where it has no place at that moment in time. Uh, you know, the, the intersection of a great transaction is where, uh, where a customer first says, the worst possible decision I can make is do nothing. And then secondly, when they decide that uh, it's not a people problem, it's not a process problem, it's a piece of capability or technology in my case that's required. Uh, and, and then they are helped through that process of discovery. What salespeople forget often is every day of our lives we're selling stuff. Every day of our prospect's life, they're not buying stuff. You know, I, sometimes the most effective salespeople are the ones that can help guide and coach uh, a prospect through their own buying process. That is very important. And one of the things you mentioned in there is coaching a prospect to their buying process and also removing them from the pain that they're experiencing as well. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of sales folks really try hard to do that. In a perfect world, every seller would mm. want to do that. Every seller would want to talk a customer through how they get a deal done or a solution mm. to a problem or removed away from the pain that they're in. Or mm. they would want the customer to tell them that as well. Like they would want the customer to give them that coaching, that guidance and that insight around how to get something done and solve a problem mm. and away from pain within their organization. My question to you would be, how do you craft the coaches and the champions with the customer as a seller for you to get that, that process defined and that structure and that rhythm defined around how to get a deal done, uh, removed away from the pain and solve a problem? Well, in the first instance, the way that you need to build authenticity and credibility and and the fastest route to that is by asking great questions i was listening to a sales trainer who i'm a big fan of a guy called andy bounds the other evening and he was saying that most people walk into a meeting one not even having the end in mind let alone anything else but they'll spend a ton of time researching the individuals and then putting their presentation together but they spend no time working out the questions to ask. His hypothesis is that you should spend a third of the time um, being comfortable on what the great questions are that you want to ask. You should spend a third of your time having answers to the questions that you don't want to be asked. In other words, objections and issues and stuff, that are, you know, and, and clarifications effectively that, that the prospect's gonna come up with. And a third of the time on the content you'd like to deliver uh, to help them make a decision. And that's very different to what most people do today. So first and foremost is asking great questions. What in your opinion is the advice you would give to sellers really looking to hone in grow their skill sets from a storytelling perspective? Uh, stop telling stories about them or their product. Uh, so so it's, it's all well and good telling a story, but the, de the best stories are about, them, uh, are about your prospect or people like your prospect. And all too often I hear people when they tell a story, they'll say, 
oh, well, you know, we went into this company and had this problem. Well, what we did was this and, and, and now it's all amazing, right? The hero of that story was them or their company. Stories that have impact are stories about, if you're the prospect, stories about you, Rashan, or about people like you. That reminds me of another company we were working with a little while ago that had a similar problem, not exactly the same, but you know, this is the, the issue they were in. And uh, you know, to their credit, they worked out that they needed to make some changes. Uh, a part of that, a small part of that was bringing in outreach. And that along with some other decisions that they made has meant that they've had a tremendous outcome. And uh, in actual fact, that person, Roshan, has been standing up recently at this conference and talking about the impact they've had. How does that resonate with you? So it's, it's got nothing to do with us. In terms of the online selling today, right? So we talk about storytelling mm. and we talk about really making an impact, being able to ask the right questions and, and get the right value and be able to transition a customer into a coach, into a champion to talk you through the process, et cetera. Uh, how do you, what is your advice to sellers today trying to do that virtually? Because of course we're, we're living in a whole new world right now where we're communicating with customers online 95 to 100% of the time in some cases, right? I know that you're in the office right now, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're engaging face-to-face -face with customers. Like how do you really make that impact in today's virtual world? Mm. That's a good one. So look, I, I still believe fundamentally that people first buy emotionally and then they justify rationally. And that's a lot easier to do if you have a face-to-face -face interaction with somebody because there's just more ingredients to that emotional connection. Right. That's, a, you know, that's an emotional connection with you as a company, an emotional response to your proposition and an emotional response to you, the relationship that they have. Is it somebody they can trust? that they can work with and they, and they hold in regard. So doing that remotely, you are somewhat limited. If you think about it, you've now got less tools to your trade. So um, you know, what, what is uh, happening to, to impact that? Uh, people are having to, to work a lot harder at making sure they get to the crux of the matter quicker. I can remember when I was having face-to-face -face meetings, it wasn't unusual for them to be two hours long. And in a two-hour meeting, you can kind of, you know, start well, goes badly, you've got time to recover, you can get it back up, and ultimately you try and end up in a good position by the end of it. Right. You know, initial meetings for us are, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes long. You have to ensure that you are uh, identifying value really quickly and collecting that and it has to be customer confirmed value. That's how you'll play to their emotional intellect. Be able to say, is this worth me spending more time, effort, resource and money investigating? If you can't get to value quickly, you cannot get to the emotional purchase. Well, talking about the value, right? One of the things you said on a talk that you did a while ago was you can only sell the value you create. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what you mean by that. Yeah, so um, uh, ultimately, if I was to say to you that, um, hey, do you want to buy these uh, glasses? Yeah, you'll have an immediate gut reaction to how much they're worth because you're wearing glasses and you paid for them and you say, well, that's probably like, uh, like a $90, $100 pair of glasses. 
Now, uh, if I start to create the value of these glasses and talk to you about how the fact that they actually mold dynamically to your head and face shape, they're very unique in that nature. They'll never fall off because see these wrap around your ears. Uh, they've actually got uh, some other sensing capabilities or something. And I'm, I'm playing to things which are important to you, for example, then you're now, your value perception of those glasses has changed significantly. Yeah. Even more so if I was to talk about not how good these glasses are, because that was very towards it. And to talk about how, um, you know, they actually, um, one of your biggest problems is that as you get through the day, having looked at a computer screen for a bit longer, your eyes get tired and it gets blurry towards the end of the day. And, and you're worried about your drive home. And are you actually going to see an obstacle in the road or what have you? And these glasses, I talked to you about having, you know, dynamic focal length that actually responds to the, uh, to the, uh, to how tired your corneas are during the day. And then you won't have that accident. Again, starting to build up even more value in terms of what you'd be willing to pay for them. That's what I mean about creating and selling value. And the best litmus test for that, for me, is halfway through your discovery or demo sessions, just say, hey, look, I want to see how we're doing here. What would you pay for what you're looking at at the moment? And if it's below your list price, you get the opportunity to flinch like a pros you know, like somebody in purchasing would do like, wow, I'm not doing a really good job here. We've got a long way to go to bring you up. Right. And if it's, if it's way above your list price, still flinch. Wow. That was lower than I was expecting. Uh, and just kind of see whether, you know, what would we have to do to kind of get you to the next level of, uh, uh, you know, kind of, well, I'd need to see this, this, and this. Well, now you know what value you needed to create. Sticking on the topic of value, and, mm. and this is something that you and I talked about the last time around prospecting and new business development, right? Mm. More often than not, uh, buyers don't really want to be sold to. We mentioned that earlier on as well, right? Yeah. And so sellers tend to have this approach where it's a one size fits all approach. Like for yeah. example, if you're selling a specific technology suite or whatever you're selling for that matter, you're approaching all your buyers within your lead list or your prospect list the same way. And so you talked a little bit about the stacked messaging, which I think it's important to elaborate on a little bit now in terms of why, what is stacked messaging? Number one, and number two, why is stacked messaging important when you're selling a solution to, to several different buyers. I, I think I had this in a coaching session with somebody this week. They were like, um, you know, I was speaking to somebody and, uh, you know, and I asked them, so why did you ask that next question? They said, well, because they said this. So, all right. Um, you and I have both got a tummy ache. Uh, so we should just basically take a pain, you know, some kind of like pain medication. Is, is that right for both of us? And they were like, uh, well, not necessarily, because there's actually lots of different types of tummy aches, aren't there? I said, oh, yeah, well, you need to kind of get into the detail of what that looks like. You know, it could be acute appendicitis and you need to be rushed to hospital. You cannot assume that just because somebody says something that you've heard before, that the solution or outcome is the same, because there's just too much context into that. And part of the stacked messaging approach is, is one is, is realizing that. Uh, and then two is, is, is just knowing the language of the person you're speaking to. So 
somebody who's more of an individual contributor or a departmental manager will be more uh, more interested in how it works how will it help my day how will it de-risk the job that i do can i go quicker uh, is it easier will i have more adoption so on and so forth all the way up to the ceo actually doesn't care how it works uh, has more interest in uh, does this help me grow quicker than the prevailing rate of the market or can I grab market share off my competitors and you need to be able to relate what it is that you do to the lens of the person who's looking at you how do you as a seller relate to connecting with a CEO or a CIO or a CFO for an example right because in the technology world a lot of the time the value proposition, understanding the real pain comes from conversing mm. with the C-level executives. So sellers mm. watching this, how do they get into that level where they're able to communicate with C-level executives, number one, and number mm. two, understand the pain and the problems that they're experiencing in their business Yeah, and solve that. So, so let's assume just simplistically there's three levels. The people who do the stuff, the people who lead, and then the people at the top. I always like, by the way, is um, the people at the top of the business will tell you how they want it to be. The people in the middle of the business will tell you what they think it should be. And the people at the bottom tell you how it is. It's, it's an interesting kind of stack. So um, look, uh, if I'm starting at the kind of the individual contributors and managers, you're talking about how it works and what it does. Features, functions, benefits. If you want to then translate that to the middle tier, it's always good to say, you know, these glasses uh, help you see better. The next three words are important, which means that. The sentence that comes after which means that is the perfect sentence for the middle tier. These glasses help you see better, which means that you can consume information more quickly and uh, you, know, you don't bump into things. It's all, of the, uh, it's all of the primary outcomes from a particular capability. It's great for middle tier. The top tier, uh, the way you translate is once you've got four or five, which means that, yeah, uh, you will be able to group those into what your solution causes as a whole. So if we were to use outreach, for example, so outreach, um, we allow people to communicate in a structured way by having people follow a sequence of steps on multiple channels more quickly and more easily. That's what we do. Actually, there's zero value to that in anybody's seeing you. Can you imagine a CEO falling asleep at this point? Um, the which means that is, what that means is you can build pipeline typically twice as quickly and you can convert opportunities at a rate of 22 to 24% more effectively. Uh, so that's the which means that. Group those two together. What does that cause? Um, you're now, um, Mr. CEO, Typically, you find other CEOs of other companies tell us that when they've implemented outreach, it causes them to increase their revenue streams by uh, an increase of 70 or 80 percent. And their customer acquisition rate uh, is two or three times higher compared to the next nearest competitor. So you stacked it from feature to which means that to what do we cause in totality? Changing direction a little bit, but mm. talking about pipeline specifically, uh, another thing you also talked about was it takes two, it's two times longer to lose a deal than to win a deal. Mm. Can you share a little bit about what you meant by that? Uh, absolutely. So time, time kills all deals. 
And the reason for that is business moves on. Yeah, business business is constantly, constantly. It's a bit like, I don't know, if you stood still long enough, the vegetation would grow up and you wouldn't be able to see over it. So you only have so long to be able to jump over it to provide some value. And so given that, every sales leader, every salesperson, actually every salesperson, it's not just a, you should know when does my win rate start to diminish? There'll be a sweet spot that you have. You know, you can, very rarely will you close a deal quickly. There'll be this middle ground where you've got a high win rate and a high predictable win rate. And then you have a few deals that took ages longer. You know, I remember <laughs> there was a deal in my previous company uh, where we were, uh, so I was at exactly with commissions management and um, we were actually selling to a funeral home in the US. And the running joke was, I'm not sure who's going to be a customer of whom first. <laughs> the deal had been going on for like three or four years and they never pulled the trigger. It wasn't my deal. <laughs> but when the CEO said that, I, I, my shoulders were going and everything. I just thought it was genius. Right? But the, um, the point here is, is I know in my business, um, where our sweet spot is, how many days, the lower end and the upper end. And the fact is when you get past the upper end, you get to a point of diminishing returns. I can't, the ability to create, I say you can only sell the value you create. The ability to create value in the beginning of a deal is a lot higher than towards the end because your prospect is forming an opinion of the value of your solution. You can never go back in time. And so the door gets it. It's like the door is closed. You know, like Indiana Jones when he's running along and the, you know, the, the cave is shutting. It's got a sprint, right? It's a lot easier to get through that in the beginning. Towards the end, to squeeze any more value in before it's shut, it's really difficult unless you can slide along in the gravel and get underneath the door. And so I've said in the past, uh, a good strategy at these points to act, just to come, it's when you get to the top end of your sweet spot just have the conversation look uh, there's every chance here that you 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 may not be like this but a ton of our other customers kind of get caught in this ferrari of the process and just never make a decision what i'd like to do is to give you an opportunity of an out right uh, my biggest fear currently is our price is here and you perceive our value as here one-time offer, name it, give me a figure of what you think we're worth. Uh, and if it's reasonable, we can do business. And if it's not, why don't we close the file, stay friends, and, and maybe come back to this another time when, when this is more urgent uh, and you have you know, a, a, a drive and a passion to get it fixed. One of the hardest parts of most sales cycles is getting to that position and mm -hmm. salespeople putting themselves in a position to execute and to close and be mm. able to have those type of conversations. And so I guess my question to you is, is why do you feel that is, what do you feel like a lot of those conversations don't off, happen as often as we would like it to? And there's more value selling and there's more relationship building and there's more process discovery mm. going on versus actually getting to the point and executing and closing on a deal. Yeah, so I, I've spoken strongly in the past around a disqualification agenda rather than a qualification agenda. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, qualification, I don't like the word because effectively it's outcome dependent. You're qualifying a deal to try and get it into your pipeline. 
nobody never has enough pipeline or nobody ever has enough pipeline. So they're always, unless you're a customer of outreach, by the way. Um, but um, so they're always constantly trying to get more deals in and, you know, being busy isn't being successful. The old don't confuse flapping wings with flying. So I talk about disqualification. In other words, try and get stuff out of your pipeline. Don't even let it in. Have them justify to you why it should go in. And I've been looking at this a little bit more recently. There's a company called OMG that does um, sales profiling. It's good for interviewing. And they have one line in their report that says, is this, is this salesperson somebody who likes to win or hates to lose? And when I asked them about it, they said the overwhelming majority of salespeople like to win. There's a minority who hate to lose. And it doesn't sound that significant, but if you like to win, you will, you will, you will just enjoy the academic challenge of trying to find a way of getting this customer to buy your solution and you won't let it go. If you're somebody who doesn't like to lose, as soon as you sniff the mere potential that this isn't going to go in your direction, you'll protect yourself by closing the book. And, and I give you an example that I did as a, as a rep years ago, some advice from Paul, uh, Paul Lanigan, um, a mutual friend of ours. And I went into a quarter and the most deals I'd ever closed in a quarter was nine deals in this particular company. And I had about 23 in my pipeline, way more than I was ever going to close. But I was, I was convinced they're all in a good place. And Paul said to me, he said, tell her what you want you to do. He said, uh, I want you to phone them all up and say, look, I've got a real problem here. Uh, I suddenly got a glut of business. And I know you're thinking, why is that a problem? Well, what it is, is there, there's an amount of effort on both of our parts that's going to go into helping you decide whether this is something you want to worth doing or not. Uh, and I've got too many opportunities to do that well. So what I'm doing is quickly phoning around everybody and seeing if there's any way at all that we can possibly push your project out by a couple of months. Uh, and then with the ones I've got left, I can provide that real high quality service. I remember saying to him, why, why would I want to do that? What if they say yes? And he said, well, wouldn't you want to know now rather than later? So sure enough, I went through the process and there was a few who said to me, no, absolutely not. And of course, my then, so why is that? Why can't it be pushed out? They're now selling to me why it needs to happen. And the ones that did push out, he gave me some more coaching. And that was to say, well, if we're pushing it out two months, why don't we just push it another two months? And if they said yes to that, then the question then is, well, in my experience, if you're willing to push this out by four months, if I was to call you again, October, November, December, in January, what would have changed then? Chances are, you know, we'll just be willing to, so why don't we just, shut the phone out. I'm okay with a no. So it's going for the no. I, I actually read a book about that where it talks yeah. about going for the no and talking about highlighting every question to your prospect, to your customer around why they shouldn't do it. And then them have them respond around why they believe they should do it. Working on deals that can't close in a time frame or a value that's mutually acceptable is like walking to the shops when you don't need to go. <laughs> why, why bother? Half of it is about protecting. If I can do my number and play golf three times a week, fantastic. And the way I'm driven is I'd actually just look for more opportunities that you know mean that I do three, four hundred percent of my number. But um, this is about respecting your own time. I love your analogies, Tom. Yeah, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, Tom. 
Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you taking the time to talk uh, to me about this. The one last question that I'll ask you before we end our conversation is, is that, you know, you have this wealth of knowledge around just selling, selling processes, methodologies, qualifying an opportunity, closing an opportunity. And above and beyond that, you just have this wealth of knowledge just around leadership and around growing sellers to becoming leaders and just leading a sales team as well. Uh, any recommendations you have for sellers watching this around methodologies to follow or trainings to adopt, to hone in and get better at their craft? Um, yeah, I could reel off a, a huge long list. I would, fact is, is be a conscious learner. Uh, I always used to like, uh, you know, this... Arnold Schwarzenegger in a really bizarre film called Pumping Iron, which is when he's talking about winning Mr. Olympia, I think for the third time in a row, okay. was talking about how he was, a, you know, as a body, lots of bodybuilders, all they did was just pump big weights and got big. And he would look in the mirror and see like his second deltoid on his right shoulder was slightly smaller than on his left shoulder. And then he would, he would go and research and find exercises that specifically focused on that to generate balance. We need to, as sellers, break down into the lowest common denominator all of the skills and attributes that you're thinking about and develop them bit by bit. You, you can't just, just going and pumping weights is not the way to become Mr. Olympia. You have to be looking at those individual constituent elements. There's hundreds of muscles in the body. There's hundreds of skills related to selling. And work with your manager, work with your leader to say, well, okay, what little bit should I be focusing on first and build yourself a curriculum of areas that you want to develop and perform. And if you've ever got a question, do you know what I found LinkedIn? If you go on authentically and ask a specific question, I'm really struggling with this bit of the process. What do you recommend and help you get hundreds of responses? Tom, thank you so much. I really appreciate appreciate you doing